Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. Well, a crowd stayed till long after sunset, and they're starting to come and, and go in shifts. It's one thing to hear about it. It's, it's one thing to have the story told to you, but it's another thing to see it with your own eyes. And yet those that are, that are standing there seeing this with their own eyes, they, they have a hard time wrapping their mind around it. Yet there he is. He's on the swing on the, on the front porch telling a story over and over and over again. This is the sixth time because a, a new crowd has, has come. Some have sat through the retelling two or three times. Before they get up, they shake his hand, they give him a hug, and, and they leave. And yet at the sixth time of, of retelling his story, he's still not tired of it. And little does he know that 20 years from now, he still won't be tired of it. With one leg crossed and, and, and tucked underneath him, the, the other one gently resting on the porch, every now and then he just gives a, a little shove to keep the swing in motion. And into the dark hours of the night, the story goes on. And on a front porch filled with a crowd staring at him, people have now trickled out into the yard, some hanging on the railing, some just watching, and they love the beginning. Well, as many of you know, I used, to, I used to lay over yonder. And he points to the screen door and the, the front part of the double-wide trailer. With the lights on, you can, you can still see the mat right inside the door that he used to lie on. A little stack of, of books sitting next to it. A bowl from his breakfast that morning. It wasn't much of a laugh, but it was my laugh. And this morning, I heard a ruckus. You know, you can hear a ruckus from a mile away inside these homes. They knew to avoid that second step. That second step will get you if you're not careful. Four of them kicked in the screen door off his hinges, and they came in, and they grabbed the side of the mat, and they said, we're going. And I tried to tell them, I ain't going nowhere. This is my life. And out the door we went. And down the road, they started telling me that he'd come to town, and they were taking me to see him. Well, I did my best to convince them I was in no place and no mood to be thrown in front of a crowd. I saw the city going backwards as they, they ran me down the cobblestone road. They set me on a corner across from the house, and, and I heard the conversation, too, too big of a crowd, and, and I told her, nice try, let's just go home. Next thing I know, they were grabbing me by the arms, and they were carrying me up the steps on the outside of the house, up onto the roof. They laid me on the roof, and all I could do was beg them one more time, please don't throw me through a hole. You know, those guys tore a hole in the roof and dangled me down inside. And then the humor seems to, to leave the story. As he talks about being lowered face to face with the one the rumors are all about. And hearing those words, your sins are forgiven. It made his mind race back. Is this something I've done? Is this something I've caused? Is this something my parents did? 
You see, when you're paralyzed and, and your only fate is to lie around on a mat, you do a lot of, of soul searching. Maybe there's something in my past that, that, that caused this. And his mind is racing and, and he forgets about the buzz in the room, the, the words that are being said about the power to forgive, sin. And the next sentence screams into his ears and something happens in every pore of his body. Pick up your mat and walk. He's in a room so crowded that no one else could fit and yet an aisle is immediately made. He hears the gasp of his, of his friends and his, and his, and his neighbors and, and some people he doesn't even know as he begins to move one foot in front of the other. After a day like that, he knows he needs rest. But the sixth time retelling a story to a group on the porch, well, sleep won't come tonight for him. His eyes will be wide awake. And somewhere in the dark hours of the morning, four others will still hang onto every word. They will eventually politely be asked to leave. They'll be told that it's time to go back home, that they can show up tomorrow, go back to their families. And these four will go nameless in the story we read last week. Each of them with a corner of the guy's mat. Oh, they thought it could happen, but they weren't really sure that it would happen. I mean, they had faith that this Jesus could probably heal a guy. It's the reason they brought paralyzed Pat to Jesus in the first place. But they didn't realize that they would be sitting at the end of the day, watching Pat in full motion, swinging on his porch, telling the story over and over again. And for these four, they won't get any sleep that night either. And the ruckus is, that is made and the, the stories that are, are starting to be spread are about to take a whole new direction. The crowds once again will, will try to find, where is this Jesus that the paralyzed are talking about, that the blind are talking about, that those that had leprosy are talking about, that those who had been demon-possessed are talking about? And from all sides, north, south, east, and west, they will converge. And it's going to bring us to a Jesus story that's, that's going to show us today the politically incorrect side of God. And you're going to have to wrestle with it today. Four friends kicked it off in full motion for us last week. Well, we're in our book study on Mark, the stories of Jesus, and we're in chapter 2. And everyone's heard of this Jesus that is loving people. Everyone's heard of Jesus that, that does miracles. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write the story of who he really was and what he was all about. And we're walking slowly through this, looking deep into the story. You see, everyone loves nice guy Jesus. The one that just said, hey, everyone, just love, love everybody and do, do what you want, and I'm here to help you. That's what a lot of people, that's how a lot of people view Jesus. I mean, no one crucifies their Mr. Rogers. But the Jesus of the Gospels is going to challenge us. The Jesus in this book is going to draw a line in the sand and make you choose one side or the other. The Jesus in this book is going to evoke anger at times. The Jesus in this book is going to evoke frustration. This is the story that we're looking at. You see, we culturally love to, to define who our God is and, and what he's about. 
And some of you may have even said over the last couple of weeks, well, I don't like this. My Jesus doesn't walk away from people that, that need to be healed. He doesn't just leave them high and dry like that. And I don't know what to tell you other than I didn't write the book. It's not my book. Already in a page and a half, many of you may say, I don't like the way you're portraying Jesus. Well, take it up with him. It's the way that he's portraying himself. And you have to come to grips with who this God is because in coming to grips with who this God is, you're going to come to grips with who you are. So we're going page by page and examining the story. We're bringing out what actually happened, what the facts are. Not who is this God that I want to have faith in, but who is this God truly who demands my faith? Because if we're honest about it, you and I, we can make a better God. We can make a, a better Jesus than the one in these pages, one that's more acceptable to us. But the truth of the matter is we need to let the Bible determine our theology rather than the other way around. And today, we're going to wrestle with his words, if we're honest. Four friends bring a paralyzed man. They cut a hole in the roof, and he walks out in full view. And we're going to pick up today in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. It says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's a sea, but it's a small sea, and they call it a lake sometimes. Lake Gennesaret's another word for it. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, what do we do when we see teach? Those of you that have been here, you circle teach. And this, I want you to write the number six next to it. This is the sixth time he began to teach. As, we wa as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. So Jesus began to teach. Six times the followers, those that, those that follow Jesus, have, have written down about him saying, let me tell you what this God is all about. He came to teach, 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 over and over again. You feel like you have a disconnect with God? You feel like something in your journey is not just happening with God? Well, I would encourage you, just start with that fact alone. You see, most of us in our prayer life, we come to Jesus to get, to get, to get, to get, to be blessed, to be blessed, to be blessed, to be blessed. And if we follow a Savior whose number one goal was to teach, and we're going to be a follower of, of, a, of that rabbi, of, of that God, then our number one goal should be to learn. I'll ask a question. Without raising hands, how many of you, before you sat down, before we've gotten six to seven minutes into the, this, this morning, how many of you prayed a simple prayer, God, teach me something today? How many of you, when you sit down to read your scripture so that you can cross off and say, I read the Bible through in a year, how many of you, before you sat down to read your Bible every day, said, God, teach me something from this. Teach me something about me. Teach me something about you. Open your heart up to a God that wants to teach you. A heart and a mind and ears that say, God, just teach me, because that's his goal. And Jesus is with the crowd, and he wants them to see the type of God he is so they, they can know exactly what he's calling them to do. He's calling them to surrender everything and to follow him. It's what he did then. It's what he does today. 
And as he's walking by the sea, he sees a man in a tax collector's booth. His name is Levi. He otherwise goes by Matthew in the Bible, the exact same guy, the son of Alphaeus. Follow me, Jesus says to him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, you good church folk, this is the time when you need to close the book and you just say, I'm not reading anymore. No, 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 no. This is where you lose the, the first century crowd. This is where you lose the good Jew. Not my God. I mean, my God has limits. My God has, has boundaries. And trust me, it stops at a man like Levi. You see, Levi or Matthew works for the IRS. And if you work for the IRS, you don't tell folks that, do you? Well, what do you do? Well, I'm, I'm an accountant. Yeah, right. But the thing is, this is completely different. This is not the IRS. This is completely different from the IRS. It's different from our government and, and our system of taxation. You know, we may not like paying taxes, but we love the benefits of living in a country where people pay taxes. I love having roads that are, that are maintained and, and have dotted lines on them and solid lines. I love to, coming to traffic lights that actually work. You know, I've been to enough places around the world where this stuff doesn't exist, so I appreciate it here in America. I love knowing that there's a fire station on a hill less than two miles to the west from the park here. I love, in, I love living in a nation that has a strong military, a nation with professional law enforcement dedicated to service. You see, Roman taxation is completely different, and we have to understand that if we're going to understand the, the, the context of what we're reading this morning. By the time this is happening in the, in the early first century, there's no longer any tax on Roman citizens. Roman citizens don't pay tax. Rome stopped taxing her citizens in about 167 B.C. You see, they had conquered enough land and their, their lucrative gold and silver mines in Spain and in Africa were doing so well that they didn't have to tax their own people anymore. So the question is, well, then, well why is there taxation going on? Well, Rome stopped taxing her citizens, but they did tax all the provinces. They taxed the provinces. If you're a Roman citizen in the first century and in the early part, you live tax-free. But your empire has, has, your empire has conquered enough, has, has been broad enough, and has enough loot that, that things are going incredibly well. And the people that you conquered, they pay taxes. So for this little podunk area there in Israel, those are the folks paying taxes. And the Romans collected their taxes through a, through a system called tax farming. And it was basically a franchise system. They assessed a district like Galilee or, or Judea. They figured out how much, how much tax they needed from that district. And they'd make this fixed figure. And then they sold the right to collect those taxes. They sold it to the highest bidder. And the tax collectors that, that, that bid on it were the people from the local populace. The buyer had to hand over the assessed figure and then could keep whatever he gathered above that throughout the year. And the potential for extortion was enormous. The system fostered exploitation by the absolute power, the arbitrary power of being the tax collector. And the Jewish tax collectors were easily the most hated men in Hebrew society. They're of Jewish descent, but they're no longer considered Jews. You know, they're, they're of the people of God living in the land of God amongst those living in the promised land of God's children. And, and, and they've done this. And so they're, they're ostracized. They're excommunicated. You're considered a traitor. You're one of the others in society. And Jesus walks by this tax booth 
and calls him. Oh, when he came by this booth, when he stopped there, I'm sure the crowd was like, yeah, sick him, Jesus. And Levi probably looked up and go, oh, no, this is judgment day. My bet is that he didn't expect what comes next. Follow me. And Levi cashes it all in. You see, up to this point, Jesus had called fishermen. And now on this day, Levi has left more than anyone else. Fishermen left their, their boats and their, and their nets and their dad, remember? In fact, at the end of this story, three years later, we're going to see the fishermen going back to their boats and fishing. But Levi has walked away from a post that he's already paid for. He's walked away from the Roman government, and he will never get that opportunity again. He's done. He's finished. Yet, he follows. Now, can you imagine the fishermen? If Jesus is walking by the sea where the fishermen fish, if he's in Capernaum, the home of the fishermen, and if he calls the tax collector by the sea, whose tax collector is this? Andrew, Peter, James, and John's. You realize fishing wasn't a free enterprise. There's an embedded taxation in working as a fisherman. You had to pay your taxes on the fish that you caught. In these agrarian societies, what you grow, what you harvest, what you produce is taxed. The transporting is taxed. The processing is taxed. And that goes the same for the fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. You know, these guys were probably a lot like the moonshiners, you know, trying to run their fish through different routes, trying to avoid high-leverage Levi so that he couldn't see them and, and tax them on their catch. Oh, the amount of times these fishermen must have come into direct confrontation with Levi. And Jesus goes, hey, I got, I got a plan. You guys are going to make a life group together. We wouldn't do that, would we? You know, excuse me, I need to change groups. Well, why do you need to change groups? Well, you know, we were talking after a group meeting last week, and, and, and we found out that most of the guys in the group are Ford guys, and I'm actually a Chevy guy, so I need to change groups. Oh, okay, don't worry about it. No, 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 Jesus is like, suck it up, buttercup. You guys are going to do life together. You're going you're gonna to work out Christianity in, in this circle that I've created. And Levi, he couldn't help but, but having heard what was going on. He couldn't help but, but hear these messages, this preaching, this teaching that, God, uh, that Jesus is doing along the seaside. He's had to listen to these stories over and over again. And when he walks away from everything, he's got one thing on his mind. He says, I've got a, I've got a circle of friends who are a lot like me because of what they do in life and, and how they live life, they don't fit into the church scene. Jesus, could you come hang out with my friends? Which brings us to verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners, circle that word sinners on your life notes, tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, you can't do that. You can't hang out with those people. You're, you're a rabbi. You're a teacher of God's law. 
And then he calls these, these people, he calls them a bunch of sickos. Well, what? You can't label that. You can't call a group of people sick. He goes, I speak in red letters. I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want to say. These are sick people, and I'm their doctor. So I'm going to hang out with the sickos. I'm not going to hang out with, with healthy people. Healthy people don't go to the doctor. And we run in this, into this politically incorrect Jesus. And it's about to split their religious system in two. In your life notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus hung out with the party crowd because they were sick and they knew it. He hung out with the party crowd because they were sick and they knew it. What do you mean they know? Well, look at verse 15. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sins were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many, there were many that followed him. There were many that realized their moral bankruptcy. They knew they were sinners, and so they followed him, not just Levi. There were many in this crowd that realized the life that I've been living, the direction that I've been going is not the life that I want. And the direction doesn't always get me to the de destination that I want to get to. There were many in this crowd that realized I'm done with my way of life. I'm, I'm done with whatever it is that's, that separated me from God because I'm called a sinner. I'm done with that. I'm just done with it. And Jesus says, that's why I'm hanging out with them. They realize they're sick and they knew it. Why did Matthew leave a, a lucrative business backed by the Roman Empire? Because no matter how much success he had, there was something that kept him awake at night. There was something gnawing at him, telling him, this isn't significance. This isn't purpose. There's something that was telling him that he was out. And he didn't even really know what he was out of. He just knew that he was out. And when that call came from the one who teaches and speaks in red letters, he was ready for that moment and he left everything. And he had a group of friends that were ready that moment too. And Jesus said, that's why I'm hanging out with them. Now, conversely, Jesus avoided the religious crowd because they were sick and wouldn't admit it. Jesus avoided the religious crowd because they were sick and they wouldn't admit it. From here on out, we're going to have a division between Jesus and the religious leaders. It starts right here. From this point out, he and the religious leaders and the religious crowd, there's going to be a huge chasm. This will lead to his death. It'll, it'll split them. It'll, it'll divide them. He goes, I'm avoiding the religious crowd because they're sick and they don't know it and they won't admit it. It's been said that the scariest disease we have is the one inside of us that we're not aware of. This is the righteous. He goes, there's, there's no need for a doctor or his cure if you're perfectly well, so I haven't come for the righteous. And I wonder if there is a, a wry little Jesus grin on his face because the Bible makes the point incredibly clear that there are none, no one that is righteous. No one is righteous. None of us. All of us need a Savior. All of us carry the, the same leprosy. All of us carry the, the same sin virus. And that's why he came. I came for people that realize, he says, you've got an issue. And it's not the paralysis. It's not the blindness. It's not the leprosy. It's not the deafness. There's something unclean. There's, there's sin that separates you from God. You're on the outs from God because of your sin.
And it's why we had that, that mic drop moment that we covered last week where, where Jesus told the religious leaders there that just so that you know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. And then we looked at Daniel chapter 7. We looked at the great prophecy of the Son of God coming to earth on the clouds and, and the title given to him as the, as the Son of Man. One who has no beginning, no end. One whose power, dominion, rule, authority will never pass away. And Jesus claimed that prophecy from Daniel 7. Eighty-three times in the four Gospels, he will refer to himself as the Son of Man. And every time those Jewish ears heard that, it would take them back to Daniel chapter 7. It would take them back to what he was claiming. I've come to forgive sins. And those that realize that, you're going to come to the doctor. And those that don't, well, I can't help the righteous. By the way, since there are none righteous, you have proclaimed, self-proclaimed your righteousness. We call that your self-righteous, and that's not righteous. You don't think you need a doctor. I've come for people that realize they need a doctor. And this brings us to an amazing understanding. Christianity is the only group where you have to be unqualified to get in. Christianity is the only group where you have to be unqualified to get in. The moment you think you're qualified or, or, or you, you, you have self-righteousness, it ain't working. It's the unqualified. It's, it's those of you that are sitting here today and, and, and you say, you don't know what I've been into. You don't know who I am. God, God, God wouldn't want me. Well, congratulations. You're right in the state of mind that God wants you. God doesn't want you to change before you come to him. He wants to have you come to him so that he can change you. Because any of the changing that you try to do on your own, it ain't going to work. Trust me, I've been there. It ain't going to work. It's the unqualified. And, and that's all of us, all of us that get in on this. And this is what Jesus is all about. It's what the first two pages of the Jesus story that we've been looking at is. And it keeps bringing us to this. Jesus came to do transplants, not cosmetic surgery. Jesus came to do transplants, not cosmetic surgery. He didn't come to fix up your old life. And in the next passage, you're going to see, see, Jesus says, look, I didn't come to put a Jesus patch on your life. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do a full transplant. You've got to die to self. You've got to die to everything. And then I'm, I'm going to make you a, a new person. I'm going to make you a new creation. And that's why the Bible has these, these illustrations about us becoming a new creature in Christ. The old is past. All things become new. It's why Jesus says, you have to be born again. I don't like the way you were born. Don't use it as an excuse. Well, I'm born this way. Well, I have a bent for, natural bent for this. He goes, I don't care. I came to make you born again. This is why he says you've, you're going to become a temple of the living God. It's why we do baptism, the incredible picture of dying and, and dying to self, of being dead and buried and then being raised again in the power of Christ's resurrection. You're a new person in him. It's an outward visible symbol of what's happened through grace. It's a picture of Christianity. He goes, I'm hanging out with people that have, that have done the best doing their life and, and, and they, they know that there's got to be more than life, more to life than this. And, and many of them are following. But there's this religious group that think they're righteous. Well, I'm the doctor. I can't help those that, that self-proclaim health, he, health, he says. 
And this is going to be incredibly politically incorrect. But I've come for the sickos, and this group is full of them, and I want to do full transplants and get rid of the old self and create new. And this is the angst of chapters 1 and 2 of of Mark, of a Jesus that says the kingdom of God is near in chapter 1. It's close. You being in God's kingdom under the rule and the the reign and the the authority of God, not the rule and reign of Walt, but the rule and, and reign of the authority of God. You just have to repent, turn from your way, turn from your life and believe. Then he says, let me show you what this looks like. And he calls some fishermen. Fishermen that have been hearing these stories. He says, follow me. And they leave their nets and their boats and their dad behind and they follow him. Let me tell you what Jesus is going to avoid. Because of his compassion and because of his heart for people and seeing where we are, he's going to heal people. But then the lines start coming out of everyone that just, just wants their problems fixed. So early in the morning, long before dawn, he got up and he went out to a private place and he prayed. And then he slips out of town in the dark. So when the crowds come with all their problems, all their sick, and they're blind and lame and diseased, Jesus tells the disciples, we got to get out of Dodge. Otherwise, people are going to come to me just to have their problems fixed. I didn't come to fix their problems. I came to change their life. And on the way, he meets a leper. And last week, we looked at the leper who heard the story, and the leper came up to Jesus and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, dude, I'm willing. And then he touched him. He touched the untouchable. He reached out with compassion to those who are ostracized, those who are out of the camp, those who are on the outs with society. Well, one part of Christianity gravitates toward that Jesus. They say, we're just supposed to love people. We're just supposed to cross every racial boundary, every, every economic, every moral boundary. We're just supposed to love people, love people, love people, love, love, love people. And Jesus reached out and loved people. And I do believe Scripture teaches that we are supposed to love people. But Jesus loved people so much that he wouldn't let them stay the way they were. He changed the unclean to clean because the Jesus that reaches out and hugs a leper and has dinner with the leper and walks away and leaves the man a leper is not a loving Jesus. And he shows up at a house for the fifth time and he begins to teach what life change looks like. And his teaching is interrupted because some guys cut a hole in the roof and, and, and dropped a paralyzed man in front of him. So he's going to use this as a teaching moment. The Son of God has come to forgive sins. That's what I'm all about. There's a greater issue than your paralysis. There's a greater issue than your current crisis. But in the compassion of Jesus, he also heals the paralyzed man. He goes, so far this has been about disease, blindness, leprosy. Let me show you the real root. Let me show you the real root. I'm going to call out a Levi, and I'm going to hang with him and his friends. The real unclean is an, is an inner separation between you and God. That's who I'm going to call. The group of people that realize they need life change. Life's good. I'm successful, but something in here isn't right. He says, I'm going to call that group. And Christianity tends to line up on, on two sides, and we cannot take either side. We say that we're supposed to love people. All you got to do is love people. All you got to do is love people. But yet we, 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 we love them all the way to hell. That's not loving them. And then there's a group of Christians that lines up on the other side, the church folk, and they know it. These are the self-righteous, and they're here to call those other people sick, sinners. You know, those people that are living in sin. And Jesus confronted these people in his time over and over and over again. 
Many of you have heard me say it before. I'll say it again. Jesus saved his harshest words for the church folk of the day. Those that were self-righteous. He said, you, you tithe on your mint and your cumin and your spices, but you've ignored the weightier parts of the law. And unfortunately, many of us who call ourselves Christians are just like it. You may not like me saying that, but I know it is for me. It's easy to call other people's sin out while ignoring the big plank in your own eye. Jesus said, those are the people that I came for. Remember, you're not the doctor. He is. We're just sin here because of what the doctor did in our lives. And if people don't think they need help, we're willing to love them. We're willing to, to, to go alongside them to the point of when they want that help. They'll have seen Jesus in our lives, loving them along the way. And Jesus stood on both sides. He said, I'm going to love the person. I'm going to love every walk of life, every lifestyle, every relationship, every race, creed, color. I'm, but I'm not going to leave them that way. And I don't care about their excuses about being born that way or made that way. I want them to be born again. All of you are born with a sin nature. Everyone has to be reborn. Well, I just want you to fix up some lives, Jesus. Because I didn't come to fix your life. You can't put a patch on this. I've come to make you a brand new creation. And this is the tension in the story. This is a Jesus that wasn't a, afraid to stand in culture and say, hey, some of you in here are sick and I'm going to point it out. The only ones of you that aren't are self-righteous and that's even worse. I've got no good news for you, but you see, I do have good news for the sick who want to change. Good news for the sick who want to change. And this is 2 Corinthians 5, which says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, gave the church, gave the Jesus followers the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us, again, the church, Jesus followers, he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. If you've been given a message, what do you do? You deliver it. You take the message. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. That's the purpose of the church, folks. It isn't to be a social club where we get together and, 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 you know, and come and sing some songs, sing kumbaya, and, and listen to an inspiring, hopefully inspiring speaker, and, and, and have potlucks, and yada, yada, yada. It's to carry forth the message of reconciliation that God has entrusted to us. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, right before he ascended, he said, I want you to go into the world. I want you to baptize people. I want you to make disciples. And the church too often, especially a denomination I was once part of, was really good at, at baptizing people. They even had it in the name of their, of their, of their place. They loved to baptize people. They took pride in baptizing people, baptizing. But, but I always wondered, two, three years later, where were those people? Were they discipled? Were they discipled? Were they, were they fully involved followers of Jesus Christ? The beauty of this is when, when we all remember our rearview mirror and realize, well, that was me. That's not me today. I'm not a sinner today. I'm still going to sin. I'm still going to fail. But my identity is not 
as a sinner. My identity is as a saint. It's as a son or a daughter. It's as a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. And it's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that I've earned, nothing that I deserve, nothing that I, that I can work for. It was given to me. It was, it was bestowed on me through grace. He reconciled me to himself. He took that sin and didn't count it toward me, but he forgave it so that I can be with him. As we look in our rearview mirror, those of us that are Christ followers and see that, that enables us when we remember that to love others as if we were God's messenger, because that is what God calls you to be, to be his messenger. In fact, I implore you because God is using us to reach others, not just the pastor, not just the chaplain. He's using everyone who calls the name of Christ to reach others. And this is good news for the sick who want to change, but it's bad news for the sick who won't admit it. It's bad news for the sick who won't admit it. Because this Jesus really thinks, he says 83 times, he believes that he is the son of God by which all men will be judged. And what do you do with a guy who 83 times claims that his kingdom, his rule, his authority, his dominion will never pass away? That all men, all women, every tribe, every language must worship him. What do you do with that guy? What do you do with this that some consider a myth and others know that he's the Messiah? This is God's answer for mankind. What do you do with a guy that says, this is why I've come? So where are you and I in the story? Where do we fall in this? I want to make this really clear, so write this down, please. We don't play the role of doctor. We just introduce people to the doctor. We are not the doctor. The doctor gets to tell everyone they're sick. We live with a purpose now of bringing people to the doctor. Let the Holy Spirit, trust the Holy Spirit to do the convicting. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin. We live to walk alongside to love people in such a way where the unclean can be made clean. And if you don't believe what I'm saying, go back and read the story. Story after story after story, that's what Jesus did. He loved people. The woman that was brought to him caught in adultery. He didn't say, you name. No. At the end, he said, woman, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. That's Jesus. And unfortunately, too many times we have this different view of Jesus that's not borne out in the scriptures. We live in, in such a world that we're, that we're constantly mindful of what this God did for us. And because of we always remember that, we get to be the messenger to invite people to the kingdom. In the story, it's simple. In the story, we get to see four faces on the roof. Remember the paralyzed man is lowered down into the, into the, into the house and, and Jesus looks at him and I think the text makes it pretty clear. He sees no faith in that man's eyes. This guy does not want to be there. Paralyzed Pat would rather be back home in his double wide laying on his mat. So Jesus looks up. Who brought this guy? One, two, three, four. And chapter two begins and says, Jesus saw their faith and said to Pat, your sins are forgiven. And now we'll work on the rest of your problem. You see, we are the four friends who have an opportunity to see lives changed or just get good seats. 
And if you don't quite understand that because you weren't here last week, well, just check it out. It's free online. If four guys were healthy enough to carry a paralyzed man across the tracks, down the street, up to the house, up the stairs, onto the roof, to carry this dead weight all the way and lower him down, it means two things. They knew who Jesus is and, and where he was. They knew that. And secondly, we know that they could have got there ahead of the crowd. They could have said, oh, I'm going to get there and get me a good seat. And left Pat sitting on the mat in his double wide. If you had that type of strength and capability, you could have gotten the good seats. And this is the role we play. We can, we can come week in and, and week out and get good seats. We can hope that they've got the right temperature in the room and we can make sure that, that we're in. Or we can be part of life's changed. You see, the story doesn't say it, but I bet that's how it ended. Somewhere in the, in the dark hours of the morning, there's a conversation on Pat's front porch. Somewhere after the seventh or, or, or eighth retelling of the story, you guys know I'll never be able to thank you. And they cut him off, no, 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 thank you. You know, I bet we could go on a couple days like this, but y'all need to get home now and get some sleep. Yeah, you mind if we come back tomorrow? Not at all. Mikasa is Sukasa. They're unnamed. Simply four friends who knew enough about Jesus to know what about Pat? Paralyzed Pat isn't going to get to Jesus on his own. He doesn't even want my Jesus. But man, that guy needs Jesus. And the way that Jesus dealt with people then is the way that Jesus deals with us now. Remember that. It's going to be on the test. He saw their faith. And he healed a friend who on his own would never, ever have gotten to Jesus. And when you play a part, when you play a part in carrying someone's mat, I promise you that story never gets old. When you play a, a role in seeing a life changed and realizing I was used by God to be part of that story, that story never gets old. Who is one step closer to Jesus simply because you are in their life? Who has seen the doctor because of you? We can't just simply say, oh, we're just supposed to love everybody. That's nonsense. Because I've tasted that freedom, I want to be a part of freeing other people. It's the way God set it up. This is a role that, that we get to play in the story. This is the role that, that you and I get to play. I found a doctor who cured a disease that I really didn't realize I had. But let me tell you about how my life's changed. And from this moment on, in the Jesus story, the self-righteous are going to be in direct opposition to Christ, the one who is truly righteous. And the chasm is going to grow between those who say, I need you, I'm all in, and those who say, hey, we just want a Savior, we just want the blessings, but we don't want to pay the price. Your price of full commitment is too high. And at the end of the story, two groups will still be left. What a story.
Thank you for joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.